Facebook. And we'll start the show since it is uh, 8 o'clock. What's up, everybody? It's the Addy Porsche Live here. Episode 201 on this fine, cold November day. Um, as always, Adam the Mallet to the left of me. And uh, this is actually the only time of the year the studio is actually at content temperature. Uh, uh, it will need air conditioning. Nice. Um, if it gets much colder than this, I will require heat. Unfortunately, this room does have a vent, but heat is not hooked up to my second floor for some reason in this house. So that's a fun project they have to get involved what's in. The, what's the basement get like then? Basement really cold. fucking freezing. When the basement gets done over, it's going to have its own system down there. It's going to have like one of those, you know, those things they hang on the wall. Yeah. It's like um, Mishibishi, like split. They call them split units. Okay. I'm going to put one of those down there because it will have air conditioning. It'll have um, heat. So it'll be just enough to keep the area of the basement that I need air conditioned. You know what I mean? So, but like the basement doesn't get that cold. I mean, I was down there in January and like, I think the coldest it gets down there is probably like 65 degrees. It's all it's all subterranean. Like majority of the basement's on the ground. There's only a, the only the back part of the basement is actually at ground level. The rest of it's all on the ground, so it stays pretty warm from the yeah. natural geothermic uh, activity. But I feel like that type of environment's not bad. You can keep your beers in there. You don't even put them in the fridge. Just keep them in the basement. Yeah, you could. It's a good. It's, it's good for wine cellars. I yeah. do have a nice cooler on the fridge. If you have not seen the Instagram, we do have the nice uh, deck done, and there is a nice uh, yeah, it looks great refrigerator out there with all the beer in there. And it's great because the refrigerator is set at 34 degrees. It's been an average of like 50 degrees during the day and then drops down to like 30 something at night. So the refrigerator is not even working at all. It's just keeping it like it's maintaining it. The only thing I'm concerned about is when it gets really too cold outside. I know the air conditioner. I know the uh, refrigerator just won't work. They'll just like not continue to refrigerate. But um, I am concerned about it uh, freezing the bears. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that when it gets and I just I read online I got to take my TVs in at a, at negative four degrees. Uh, LCD screens will freeze. Negative four, nice. To, I'm glad. I, that's good to know. I don't need to know that now, but that's yeah. one of those things I could need to know someday. Well, I didn't know. I, I mean, I had no desire to fucking take the TVs off the mounts and bring them in. I mean, it takes two seconds, but I'm like, I just really don't want to do it. Yeah. Like, I want the convenience of that one nice day you have in January. I could go out there at 50 degrees and watch TV without having to fucking put the TVs back up. Yeah, I'm not really concerned about anyone stealing them. If someone wants to fucking steal them, I mean, this is going to be a first of all, they got to get through the alarm system on the deck. And once they get past that, if they do, they get to make sure they brought a screwdriver with them so they can unscrew the fucking mounts to take the TVs off. And then you, you better have two people going with you, because if you don't have two people, that could be an issue. And if you even get the TVs, you have to disconnect the power, but the power is into the wall. So you would have to buy a whole new AC adapter I see. for it's really not. I mean, the fucking t- the, the TVs are $80 a piece. The little ones I have. Yeah. I mean, who's yeah. fucking stealing $80 TV in God's country up here. And even if let's say you are able to get through all of that and accomplish your goal, you're yeah. still probably on camera. Oh, there's, there's seven cameras <laughs> looking at you. There's yeah. Literally, I mean, I'm just giving everyone a warning. If you want to break into my house, there's cameras and there's no blind spots, put it that way. I have, and it's not even the same cameras. I have like Amazon cameras and I have blink cameras and then I have ring cameras. I have three different companies camera in my house. I will find you and I will track you down. Not to mention my alarm system is hooked up to the police department. So as soon as you open that gate, the alarm will go off. So see, I, I don't have cameras per se, but I have razor blades 
in mm. spots where if you reach under the window to try to grab and pull up, you will slice your fingers. Ooh, that's evil. It is. So it's actually <laughs> it's actually really, really, really smart booby trap. <laughs> it is. Like, like, like Kevin McAllister. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know, I'm like, there's only really one spot anybody could ever break in here. So yeah. I'm just going to home alone the shit out of this and like try. <laughs> well, that's right. When I when I lived in uh, Everett, my um, so the, my master bedroom was like in the uh, we had this giant. Oh, you never mentioned my my Everett house. It was like this like two story ranch, and I had a deck that went the entire length of the back of the house. So you you got to it by like the die for the from the kitchen, and yeah. then the master bedroom was actually on the deck too. Like you couldn't get to the deck from the master bedroom, but the window was right there, and it used to freak us out because like if you open that window, if you because so, you could get into the deck easily, you just get into the backyard. And you yeah. could like hang outside that window and just get into the apartment that way. And we did get broken into, but the idiots broke through the front door and we had an alarm. So that was kind of stupid of them. But um, at night, I was always like, I was always like, I thought I, I swear I heard people on the deck sometimes like out there. We had animals out there for sure. We had like different like coyotes and shit. We could hear them at night, like walking on the deck, raccoons and squirrels and stuff. But um, yeah, with them, what I did was I when I installed the air conditioner for the bedroom, I put it on that window and then I screwed the fucking it was probably really unsafe. I screwed the window shut so you couldn't break into it. But if there's ever a fire, you kind of be fucked because you wouldn't be able to open the window. So, true. But, yeah, that's I mean, true. it was Everett. So, and it was Everett on the Chelsea line. So it wasn't like it was Everett on the Malden good side of Everett. It was on the shady side of Everett. So, I mean, I had five bodegas within walking distance that sold beer at a convenience store. Ooh, nice. So we get tonight on the show. We have, um, there we go. I'm going to fuck it up. <laughs> Chris Griggs will be joining Griggs. us shortly. Griggs, he is uh, in New York by way of uh, Memphis. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. He's a good old boy right. for himself. So he will be joining us shortly. Um, I will fuck up his name about fourteen times today. I will say Giggs because I, in my mind, I, I'm saying Giggs, so I'm going to say it. So it's going to be fucked up. So that's good. Distinct lethal weapon, but without the yeah. R, the G. Briggs, I'm excited. I am uh, flying out. Oh shit! Friday, and I can finally use my uh, VIP access to the uh, lounge in the airport, which I haven't been able to use, uh, basically because, well, I've only flown twice since I had the card. But um, I mean, you really don't want to take a kid into the lounge. They're free on the two, but like you, I, I don't want to piss people off. Right, if yeah. a fucking a toddler running around in like a lounge that's meant for like professional, I have no right to be in this lounge. There's yeah. people like myself aren't usually the people that you would suspect to be in this lounge, but it's free booze yeah. and it's free food. But I pay a membership through my, my American Express card. So um, I'm actually going to finally get to uh, take advantage of this. So I'm, I told Sue that we get access to it three hours prior to our flight. Our flight's at nine o'clock at night to Charlotte. And I plan on um, parking my car for free at the bar like I usually do, taking the shuttle for free like I usually do. And uh, get into the airport and drinking free alcohol. So it's going to be a great. I, I should be bombed by the time we land. I'm going to be so intoxicated by the time we land with Shell. It's going to be fucking crazy. Yeah. You'd be so intoxicated be having conversations with your, with your kid. If that makes my, sense. My kid's not even going to be there. <laughs> oh, that's right. Your kid's time. not coming. Duh. He's not coming. Yeah, 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 this yeah, is a right. kid free vacation. The kid is not. It's not like I didn't want to. We didn't want to bring the kid with us. It's just like a football game is a very intense sport and event and which requires 100% attention for the majority of the game. And even if you're sure. paying attention to a football game, you are missing that aspects of it, right? So, mm -hmm. like, the way I looked at it was, like, we 
could not bring them. Baseball is different because at least baseball games, you can sit there and it's like this so long and drawn out and it's a regular season game. It doesn't really give a fuck if you win or lose. It's kind of like, you know, whatever. And we've taken him to, so he's been to a Red Sox game down in, in Texas and in, in Arlington. So that was this MLB game he took and he was what? What was that? Oh. Did they see your dog? No, that was my fucking, I need a WD-40 mic stand. I thought I heard a, I thought I heard a bark. That's no, yeah, no, I got WD some 40 shit. So we took him to a baseball game and then we took him to, he's been to a uh, Portland Sea Dogs game and two Woo Sox games, but. I mean, his attention spans about an inning and a half. You know what I mean? So it's like, what does yeah. that relate into football terms? Like a, a, a quarter? Maybe. You know yeah. I mean? We took him to a couple of uh, Celtics games, and that's just like the first Celtics game we took to. He was way too young. I think he was like three months old. That was just garbage. Not as well, yeah. yeah, it was not even, not even worth taking him. Mean, I think he paid attention. He was able to like not be a pain in the ass for about a quarter. Um, and he, was, he was a baby, just crying and stuff like that. And then um, we took him on Mother's Day, but luckily we took my parents with us. So my mother pretty much just entertained him the entire time. So that was good. But he's still a little too young. I think in a couple of years, he'll be able to uh, appreciate the events. You know what I mean? My football game? No, especially it's the cost of a ticket for a football game. I mean, it's oh, ridiculous. God. I mean, we're paying... Then we paid 220 bucks a ticket for this game. And, and it's not and it's not even on the over face value. Face value is probably like I think it was probably like a buck eighty. So we're only paying like fucking 20 bucks more. You know what I mean? Than what yeah. if we bought them right from the box office. But I mean, no, it is. We went to uh we went to freaking Jacksonville, and even those tickets were expensive considering it was fucking Jacksonville. I was shocked how much that stadium was. Like, remember we thought we were going to get like cheaper beers there? No, it was pretty comparable to Gillette yeah, and Fenway. The prices. Was I feel like it's all the same. The, the cheapest places I've ever had alcohol was when I went to the Super Bowl in Atlanta, and it's only because the owner of the of the Falcons purposely makes all the shit there wicked cheap because he doesn't want to make any profit. So, like, it's the cheapest food in football. It's the cheapest drinks in football. And when I say cheap, I mean it's like all right, which Gillette twelve dollars for a beer. The Falcons is $9 for a bear. So like in retrospect, it isn't exactly cheap, but it's cheaper than it would be if you went to somewhere else. You know what I mean? I don't understand if why, why can't just for like one day, one one game or like even one week at a stadium like you have. Like, like for instance, like the, the club, you know, Coogan's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they have dollar draft. Yeah. <laughs> they still have dollar draft. They should just do that for like one week. Then you have what happened in. Um, yeah, pretty much. Cleveland. Yeah, all of beer night in Cleveland back in 1970 something, and for That's the true. Indians, yeah. well, we can't yeah. call them the Indians anymore. We got to call them the Guardians, which is actually debatable because they're in a major lawsuit right now because of the roller door. Yeah, I told, yeah, we talk, yeah, yeah, I brought up last week. Yeah. yeah, so we'll just call them the the uh, the Cleveland baseball team at this point, so we don't avoid any uh, for lawsuits. Yeah, they had that dollar bear night back in like the 70s or the <laughs> 80s or something, and it ended up turning into the the, the amount of people who got arrested. And the kind of chaos that went down. It was a double header too, I think it was. I think it was like a dollar beer double header. They should That's just do it. Terrible. It's terrible. But do you remember when the Red Sox were offering? I think it was 2000. It was 2013. After they had that terrible season in 2012 of the chicken and beer. Remember, they were like, we're going to have uh, $5 beers. Yep. And then you go to the stadium. It was it was the 2013 season. And they gave you. So like originally you would get a 20 ounce beer for like whatever you ate. <laughs> They were giving you like I think like seven ounce beers for five dollars. Yeah, so when you did the math, 
you weren't actually saving money. You were actually spending more money because when you like, if you figured how much a 20 ounce per, you know, cents per ounce was, you actually got a better deal getting a 20 ounce than getting a $5 ounce. And they didn't tell you it was only Bud Light. What a bunch of assholes. Like they were probably sitting there like smirking, like we're going to give these assholes, we're going to make them think that they won, but they did. Yeah. They couldn't give it to us. They still would have won even if they did dial down the cost, but they couldn't even do yeah. that. Well, I wrote an article on the packy and I, and this is back in 13 and I broke down the money. Like I literally did the, the dollars per bear, how many ounces you got and like did the facts. And it was proven that you were better off getting a regular size 20 ounce Bud Light than it is buying a $5 Bud Light because the ounces per dollar were because then you're going to figure you tip on that, too. So if I'm drinking three five dollar Bud Lights, that's equivalent to like, say, one 20 ounce Bud Light. I'm only tipping the dollar on that one Bud Light. Now I'm tipping three dollars on there. So you don't even figure that onto that. So it's like it's starting to add up. Mm-hmm. And the cups were like ridiculous. They're like fucking like Dixie cups like you would have mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Like, you know, when you have like one of those water bubblers at your office and you have the cups that sit next to it, it was like a little slightly larger than that. Oh, it's true. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it, it's another John Henry. Oh, we'll give the people what they want. They uh, well, if we give them um, cheap beer, they will come and drink the, the cheap beer because they like beer because they're idiots. Because Boston's full of fucking idiots who just drink beer and watch their sports and they don't pay attention to profit margin. I don't think he's smart enough to come up with that. Actually, no, probably not. No, he probably, probably wasn't. Not. It was probably some fucking intern, one of yeah. his uh, little like uh, little minions that worked from. But John Henry, I get this great idea. I was crunching numbers, right? And I realized that people are stupid. So if you actually say it's cheaper, but you give them less, they'll think they're getting a deal. You're making one of his interns sound like some guy named Lenny from yeah. like the Bronx or something. <laughs> so like, we're going to like up this yeah. year. <laughs> I'm an intern from, uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, UCNY, you know, University of New York, uh, you know, Buffalo. Fuck yeah. Five. Yeah, I go up to school, Buffalo. I'm Lenny from Syracuse or something like that. I talked to these people the last night. They're at the bar who have a kid in Syracuse. Do you know how much Syracuse is a year for college? You you will die. God, this oh. is Syracuse. This is a. I believe it's. I don't know. I think it's a private school, but it's technically like. Yeah, it's a private school, but it's like not like a. It's not anything. It's a good school, but it's not anything that blow your mind. Uh, well, I have the internet here, and motherfucker, you're telling me it's upwards of around 50k. Uh, well, they're paying 80 because they live on campus. Fuck! <laughs> That's insane. Although it was like, I'm paying 80 grand a year for my kid to go to Syracuse. I'm like, really? I go, I go, it's a good school, but I don't know if it's worth 80 because we were, we're talking, I have a conversation. I was bitching about my student loans, and then they told me what they were paying a year, and I go, wow, that's what I paid for my entire four years. <laughs> so I don't feel that bad. Can you imagine leaving school with $240,000 just for your undergrad? I'm like, I had 180, but I had a grad, some graduate classes in there too. Yeah. But upwards to half a million dollars for an undergrad. You're not going to pay that off for a while. You will never, <laughs> you'll never make that money back in your career. Yeah, like I hope you get lucky in the crypto game. <laughs> yeah. Like if you justify the job you could get with this degree, compared to the job you would get if you didn't have this degree and then the pro the difference of of uh pay wage right so say it was like 15 grand a year you'd make less but you aren't paying this increasingly interest that was put on this loan that ends up being double the amount of money by the time it's it's matured that you were just better off just taking the pay cut and living the life 
Well, you know what I mean? About making thousand dollar payments. Now I'm paying a thousand dollars a month. If you have a half a million dollars worth of student loans, you're paying two thousand dollars a month on your fucking loans. You'll never pay that off. Who pays? I mean, no. like I told you, I'll pay my loans off once my kids graduate high school, which is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and then you'd have to help pay him pay. No <laughs> fucking way. My parents they help me pay. Yeah, fuck yeah. There you go. You're on your own kid. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have the same conversation my father had with me. All right, here's your loan. This is how much it's going to cost you. You're going to have to pay it back. We'll pay for your books and shit like that. They gave me like a, uh, they did help out with like uh, for books and like supplies and stuff like that. Like the, you know, the minor costs. Cause I would spend upwards to like $500 a semester on, on art supplies for building models and shit like that. So they did stimulate me on that. But like, as for the core costs, no, you're on your own, kid. My mother would write me a check for books and, and I'd, I'd get like $500 a semester they would give me to like towards all that stuff, which is generous enough. But like in the, the, the large picture of it, when I got my first bill in the mail, I almost shit my pants. Uh, do you think it's going to get better? No, it's going to stay the same. Uh, well, I'm banking on that. Yeah, that's why I have yeah. heavily invested in SoFi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Stock is only 20 something ducks. Go for yeah. it. I got some shares. It was half of 10 years. Yeah, right. No kidding. Maybe Chris could give us some. Uh, we're going to bring in Chris Griggs right now, a guest for the night. Comedian. Griggs. He's in New York. Hey. Oh, yes. Griggs. We did it. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How's uh, how's everything going on your end? We're doing good. We're just bitching about the economy, you know, and, and, and student loans and stuff. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure you're a man who understands the idea of student loans and how worthless they are. <laughs> you spend the rest of your life paying off yeah, yeah absolutely sounds ridiculous. i had to put myself through college man it's a bitch yeah we we're just talking about the same thing and about uh i was having a conversation with people who who are putting their kids through college now and i've been 10 years out of college at this point and uh it's just getting more expensive it is not getting cheaper i don't understand how people do it because i like i have a twin sister she's I uh, got two kids and she's, <laughs> she's been divorced four times. I've never been married. I don't have any kids. Oof. The life of a stand up comic. Time. But like, <laughs> I never get, if it costs like a hundred thousand dollars to get your kid educated, that's just that. Yeah. Who are these people that can have kids? Like, I don't, unless they just go half a million in debt. I don't know how they do it, especially living in Manhattan. Oh yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you are the prime source living in where in New York is kind of like, you look at that, the epicenter, that's probably the most expensive or one of the most expensive places. In the it's right up there. If it's not the most expensive. Right. Yeah. So like, if you look at those numbers and you compare it to the rest of the country, it's like, damn, like if this is the, the top, then I, I don't want to see the bottom. It's just unbelievable. Well, yeah, the, the average, the average cost. Now remember this is pooling all together of medical school is 54,698 a year. Now mm -hmm. that's obviously everyone is different. Every school is different, but like that's a fucking salary. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like even back a million years ago, like what did it cost when you went to college? Like, um, what was it? I was I was oh, I paying fifteen, sixteen grand a year ten years ago, and I went seven, yeah seven years, uh, for grad school. Grad school went up to about twenty G a year, but when you figure like that, I would be and Adam were doing the math, and I'm saying to myself, I'm like, you know, if I just didn't go. And working the same job I'm working at now, and just took a little bit of a, of a salary cut, it would be yeah. a wash. It would it would be actually I would oh. make more money at the end because <laughs> I'll pay off college once my kid graduates uh, high school. That's what my college we paid for. 
Oh man. Even like, I feel always feel for parents that spend all that money and then the kid decides they want to be a poet or an actor or something. And it's like, fuck, you know, Oh, like, couldn't you just tell me that when you were 18, did you right. have to go to college and figure it out? You know? Yeah. I, my parents are pretty good at not letting me get a useless education. Uh, we, I pretty much, if I think I said that to my parents, I'd be like, well, I was on my own anyways, for the most part for paying it yeah. off. But I think like if I if I said, hey, um, listen, I want to be like, you know, I want to, you know, I want to get into, um, you know, a history of like, uh, I don't know, of toaster ovens and stuff. Like, I want to major <laughs> toaster ovens. Like, that's all I want to study for, for four years. They'd probably look at me like I am. Oh, do you want to get a minor in microwaves? No. <laughs> toaster <laughs> ovens. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, you ever seen the movie The Other Guys with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Will I Ferrell? I love that film. And, yeah, and Michael Keaton's working at Bed Bath & Beyond to pay for yeah, his man. kid who's going through college who's a, a bisexual so he can be a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go chasing waterfalls. You know. Yes, <laughs> Give me, to give you a comparison on life, right? Adam and I both work. We work at the same company during the day. We yeah. have the same exact job. We do the same exact stuff for the most part, you know? Yeah. Um, I went to college for seven years. Adam did not go to college. And uh, the world goes full circle. So this is, this is a proven fact. If anyone out there who's debating if they want to go to college or not, you're looking at two guys right now. And this is it. This is what happened. Uh, unless, of course, you want to be like a neurosurgeon, then you probably should get yes. some school. Yeah, I I think that that uh, that uh yeah. go to school for that. I think that or probably... go work in Mexico. You know, you can or do yeah, that yeah. I don't yeah. know. Like for me, it was backwards. I got my I got a degree in uh, communications, which is kind of broad and useless. But and I got a minor in marketing. So I did wind up. I was a writer at an ad agency when I got out of college for a while, and I worked in advertising for a bit. And I did make money, which was nice to know at least what it feels like for them me to lose it and pursue a career as an actor in comedy. But um. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, college well, is marketing... great. It just people shouldn't have to go that much in debt just to oh, figure out their life. Yeah, I think the they marketing. Sorry, no, no. I, I think the whole college thing—they just took advantage of people. They know that they're like it's like anything else, right? If I move the price up a little bit, people will pay it, and you just do it slightly, and you just do it little by little by little, and then the people don't realize the price. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah, before you know it, you're just like whoa. How did I get here? <laughs> you know? And colleges can even be the worst because they're raking in cash, charging absorbent amounts for tuition, and they underpay their teachers. <laughs> so they, they just stick it. They stick it to the teachers all the way around, and they're sticking it to the students, and it's all under this uh, moral umbrella of education. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like one of those things. I was talking to, I was talking to a friend of mine. Like, there's certain things in life that we accept, but you kind of know you couldn't morally defend, you know, like if you really think, I mean, I, we were talking about the, the, uh, like the me too movement and a lot of that where like for so many years, like the Hollywood system of all of these crazy assholes that were predatory with people, we yeah. kind of all knew there was a casting couch. Everybody knew intellectually that this was a systemic thing. And we just like, that's the business. You know, yeah. stand up. So much stuff with stand up comedy is like, that's the business. I don't know what to tell you. It's the business. No, but no, you couldn't morally defend it. Like if a gun was to your head, the way we treat VAs even doesn't even matter your political affiliation. Like, mm. ah, what are you going to do? You know, it's like, we just kind of roll with it. And then that's why when people have moral righteous indignation about certain things, it's just interesting to me that it's sometimes very selective about yeah. just which way the wind blows. And it also would, would benefit certain people as well, too. So if it's helping you, it is way. totally about what I mean, really, 
you can learn a lot by what someone believes when it actually is not to their benefit. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time when people get on their horse, it's really trying to create something to protect something that they already benefit from. Yeah. That's Paul. Yeah. Very true. That's y'all right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean like one of the, it's uh like there's a lot of like one of the cool one of the cool ones is always that if we take care of the uber rich they're going to take care of us yeah and we go yeah cool i buy that yeah baby let it trickle down on me that's cool yeah it's the anyway water, the waterfall wealth as it goes down right it's like a little bit little bit little bit little bit to don't the go chasing trickle down is what <laughs> michael keaton would tell us yeah, you, you gotta creep you gotta creep right. you gotta creep <laughs> you know Bro, did you just say a bunch of TLC songs and one. <laughs> well, we were doing it going back to the other guys because that was Michael yeah, Keaton's right. whole thing. Yeah. yeah, because Will Ferrell's going, come on, you did it. You're, talk, you're, yeah. talk, you're doing TLC, TLC reference. Right? What are you yeah. talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Talking about I wasn't yeah. doing TLC. Yeah. So, Chris, you're originally from uh, Memphis. Is that where you grew up? I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I've lived in New York now, though, for 20 years. So I guess I don't know what the I think it counts. I'm a New Yorker now. But yeah, my family still lives there. The nice thing sometimes about being from the South, it's a nice little time bubble mm -hmm. that you can always just go back because there's always going to be people you went to college with there. There's always going to be people. My sister lives there. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you can always go back and visit. What do you so, you've been in there? So you've been in New York for a good period of time now. Uh, did you go yeah. there 20 years? Did you get there after or before 9-11? I got here uh, before 9-11, and weirdly enough, um, I was not performing at the time. I was still kind of working in advertising, and I was working on the U.S. military's advertising, even though I've never been in the military, which was another kind of a weird thing. But um, yeah, and so I kind of always, I didn't have the guts to really go into performing as much, and, and I was making some decent money, you know, uh, in advertising. And so I was... We were supposed to be at the Pentagon the day after 9-11. So I'm in a meeting God. and we're talking about the meeting the next day at the Pentagon. And then someone's like, turn on the television. And then we see what happens. And uh, I mean, I still stayed in advertising for a bit, mm -hmm. but I immediately kind of knew I was going to change my life. I mm -hmm. think like a lot of people, it was just this thing like, what am I doing? You know, mm -hmm. I don't even have kids and a family to, to pretend that there's some reason uh, to kind of just keep, you know, get in the maze. So why don't I just do what I want to do? And that's kind of what I did. So then I just started, uh, you know, figuring out a path to acting and started doing crappy plays and, you know, and, um, stand up. And I, I, I always liked improv. Like from the moment that I had landed a plane in New York, I started studying in a second city program that they had at the time. Because I was always such a comedy nerd, uh, was obsessed with all the all the old SNL people and how they learned at Second City. And I'm like, well, they got to be doing something mm -hmm. if they're churning out people That's like true. Bill Murray and uh, Belushi and Chevy Chase and those guys. Yeah, I feel like the majority of the SNL cast, especially like the 80s and the 90s people, are all Second City people that came all day. They're mostly Second City people. And then um, the only comedy coach they ever had at SNL, I think it was either the first or the second season, but it was a guy, Del Close, who was sort of like the godfather of that whole improv second city thing, which eventually became Improv Olympics in Chicago mm -hmm. and uh, became kind of a big deal. And then uh, sadly, they all did so many, they all did drugs. <laughs> and, you know, Del Close was a huge drug guy. Him and Belushi used to do drugs all the time. And, and then uh, who knows what they do now? I guess Adderall is probably what the cool comedy kids are doing now in the writer's room. I don't know. Probably because they stay up for hours yeah. at a time. <laughs> yeah. They get it prescribed to them from their doctors because they say they can't pay attention in class. So it's like, yeah, 
<laughs> what so what imagine you, uh obviously you're pursuing a dream but like that was a bit most that was been pretty difficult going from working in a professional career in new york city and big apple you made it right you're in marketing yeah right and then all of a sudden you're like fuck it i'm just gonna start and start from the bottom and just work my way back up and try to start a whole new career yeah, I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I didn't have an end result in mind. I just sort of had this thing where I, I didn't want to be in the old folks home one day and not know if I tried. Okay. And and sometimes, you know, I, New York won't give you the guarantee of success, right? You know, we all know that. But one thing that New York really will give you is um, the idea of where you could be on a professional scale in a certain field. And I think that's the difference, you know, like, like if I, if you live in certain parts of the country, I would say a lot of parts of the country and you want to be a botanist, well, who cares, you know, but if you wanted to be a botanist in New York, you got to live with the fact there's probably some super nerd Illuminati botanist group hanging out and just doing God knows what, and they're the greatest botany group in the country. And you got to live with that, you know? So like, if you love comedy and you're in New York, I mean, man, there's just no better, there's no better place. And there, you know, the bad part is there's probably more stand-up comedians than cockroaches in New York. But the good thing is that you're going to see some of the greatest stand-ups ever and you're going to watch them, watch them get better and better. And I was just kind of thinking about old folks, me, you know, sitting around telling stories. I love being around comedians. I love being around comedy. And uh, it was just about kind of living a life. I always, at the time, I kind of think at least the first five years, there's probably a good part of me that thought I might eventually go back to advertising. Yeah. You know, it's not like it goes anywhere. Yeah. It's still around. Yeah. It's uh, right. or, or move back to Memphis at some point. I don't know. I probably didn't. But then at some point, I don't know. It started. It's not like it, it didn't. It never worked to any kind of uh, or it hasn't worked into any sort of uh, Bill Burr level of success. But I don't know. I live. I, I make it work. You know, I live in the city and it works. And. I've gotten to do some fun, cool things and be around uh, amazing people that I respect. So question, like what what pulled you into comedy? Did you have like a moment where you were like, I really like that comedian? It's just that that's what kind of drew you in and pulled you towards it more. And like, who are some of your favorite all time? Uh, well, that's a great question. I, mean, I think interest, I mean, for me, it was the person that completely, I think, blew my mind um, Robin Williams always blew my mind. And maybe that's the reason why I still love improv and stand-up because he was amazing at both. Robin right. Williams and then Robin Williams was really into Jonathan Winters. Yeah. And so then I got into Jonathan Winters. Like, what's this guy doing? This guy's just pulling props out of a hat. And like, you know, probably the only interview you've, you'll ever be able to see of Robin Williams on The Tonight Show where he doesn't speak hardly at all, is when he and Jonathan Winters was on there. He just sat there in awe of Winters. And I was very into Steve Martin. Um, so definitely there was this taste of people that could sort of seem like they crossed lines. Like Steve Martin was a magician, you know, uh, almost like a carnival act. He sang, he danced, he did stand up to stadiums, and then he walked away. So that was definitely my, my initial impetus. And then at some rock, uh, at some point, Chris Rock became a big deal to me, and Eddie Murphy, and uh, and then Chappelle. But though early on, that was it was definitely Robin Williams. I don't yeah. think anyone had ever seen anything like Robin Williams. No, definitely. I mean, if you ever just Google back to like his first few television episodes, even before he got his own TV show, it's almost like it's very you you're watching this guy and you're like, oh, this guy's famous. This guy's going to be famous. Yeah. That's pretty rare. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like when you just yeah, see someone. 
Yeah, and you're did. like, oh, this guy's going to be famous. There are certain ones that you can even see on television. They just admit this energy that you can even see it. Like, wow, that guy has something. And I've always had respect yeah. for. I never thought Andy Kaufman was was that hilarious, but I respect how, like, he sometimes would barely say a word. It just yeah. just his body language and how he interacts, and people are just dying laughing. And I'm like, Jesus, yeah. like I would I I would kill for something like that. Well, Andy Kaufman is amazing to me because I'm always, I love anyone that's an artist, a true artist. And maybe, you know, like if you go to Memphis, there's a, there are, go down Bill Street, there's all these amazing blues clubs. There's going to be people that are playing and they know they're not going to ever be famous, mm. but they play because they love blues. Andy Kaufman to me, what I'm from Memphis and Kaufman, that whole wrestling thing that Kaufman was doing in Memphis, that's just for the love of the game. I mean, he's already on a hit TV show. He's already rich. There's no reason to go do regional wrestling with Jerry Lawler. <laughs> woman, is, right? But he's not, Jerry Lawler's not a national, he's not even like a Ric Flair type at that point in time. I'm gonna go to Memphis, Tennessee, and then he played the villain. He didn't even play the good guy. He wrestled women. <laughs> He played this crazy <laughs> asshole who was like, I, I'm going to beat all you girls. Oh, I'm a woman in Memphis and I can't brush my that. teeth. And then he would, he would wrestle just for the love of, he loved wrestling. And you just got to tip your hat to a guy that loved art the way Kaufman did. Uh, yeah. You always yeah. like the coolest man in the room in, in, in his eyes. Like in the movie, Man on the Moon, right? When they just did yeah. his whole lifestyle. And it was kind of seen in the eyes of like what Danny DeVito, which was his uh, agent at the time, right? I guess that's the character you played. Yeah. And it's kind of funny seeing it from that angle and how he like would perform like an act on like, say, like he was, when he was on Taxi and they were filming and how he got into this character and he just wouldn't leave the character. Like he was like 100%. He was method. Yes. Yeah, and he, like, he was dead on. And he didn't care if like. You know, you, anything outside of the of the art was going on, like in his, his personal life, he was the character and like he was just so zoned in. It was so fascinating that he was so dedicated to whatever he was doing at the time that it was just it, it takes a whole nother of a level of art. I think it was, it's beyond comedy. It's more like it's it's more theater, like realistic. It's hard to find someone that's odder in a TV series than Kaufman because he was method all he was method with Latka. And then that wasn't enough. So then he became method with his stand-up character, mm -hmm. uh, the one, the stand-up character guy. And then he's got Andy Kaufman method trying to book the other Andy Kaufman stand-up guy. And they're supposed to both be on the show at the same time. And all the cast is like, they all want to kill him probably, you know. Uh, I think Judd Hurst and him got into a fight at one point, physical oh, altercation. Sure. Yeah. And then there's a great documentary where Jim Carrey, when he was doing Man on the Moon, he went method. And he was impossible to deal with during the film. And like the documentary is great. Just to watch Paul Giamatti's face, you know, like, <laughs> uh, look at that. I watched, um, I was going back to some of the very, very season one of SNL, like on Hulu. And there is uh, Andy Kaufman. They, you know, they bring guests out. They do like a stand up, you know, for a while. And I'm watching Andy Kaufman. Doesn't say one word. He comes out with a jack in the box and, and it's playing pop goes the weasel. And he's just turning it slowly. And he's like, he's like mouthing the words to like pop go, but like, he's not saying anything, but it's fucking hilarious. Sure. Like, and it just blows my mind. I'm like, I, it's just there's something. He's just definitely one of those guys that like, it's like, he just has it, you know, like Bill Murray yeah. is another one. Bill Murray's not even a comedian, but Bill Murray, I bet you walk into a room and it's like, Oh, that's fucking Bill Murray. Yeah. He's an artist. I think that's what like, you know, especially comedians are drawn to people that like Kaufman, even if you didn't really like Kaufman, like even let's say he wasn't your cup of tea, 
you know, you still, you got to tip your hat to the artist. And the same thing with Bill Murray. Um, the thing about Bill Murray that's so amazing is there's a lot of people that are comedic actors, particularly that lose relevance as they get older. Mm-hmm. And he's just found ways to reinvent himself over and over again. Robin Williams was able to do the same thing. Um, there, but I think it's just, he lives a life. He just lives a life of an artist in his own world. You can't reach him. What you got to leave a voice message on something to yeah. get him for a movie. Doesn't there's a good, <laughs> there uh, doesn't have an agent. There's a book that I read, a, I think during the pandemic and it was, uh, some version of, I don't know if it was, maybe it's called the Dow of Bill Murray or something. Anyway, it's just all the collection of stories of people, the parties, the weddings, the funerals, the things that Bill Murray has crashed, you know, and walked up behind people and ate a bite of their steak and said, you know, no one will ever believe you and then walk away. Yeah. <laughs> the best. Because I think Murray lives that life that if you were that guy, you'd want to believe that you would live that life, you know, or live that life. Like he seems to be having fun on a certain level or at least trying to you know smell the flowers a bit and go around and yeah if you're going to play golf in scotland you know grab grab a golf cart and get drunk and crash it into something i don't know yeah. just see what see what you can do <laughs> when you are doing comedy and you start getting everything going did you ever have any desire since you were doing acting to go out to la or were you kind of like i'm staying east coast and this is where it's going to be uh, I think I probably made a calculated mistake. I think I should have gone to LA. I guess when I look back, I mean, I don't really, I don't do a lot with regret, but I do think that my, I probably would have done better career wise if I'd moved to LA in the beginning, uh, or if I'd started a podcast in the beginning, maybe, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I basically, you know, you just don't want to start over. And I think that's also part of the reason why that I, it, it took a while to get to the point to where you're working in clubs and you're traveling and you're doing work. And, and I knew stand-up comedian friends of mine in LA and some of them were headliners and they were struggling to get spots because, you know, in LA, especially back then, I mean, you didn't even have to be a comic. I mean, maybe some like Michael Richards might show up and just, I'm a stand-up, you know, and things like that. So I think it could be hard with all the celebrities. I, I would have booked more, but I also, just when it came down to it, I liked my life. For good or for bad, I love I love New York. You know, I love I love New York. I love the people in New York. I love the comedy scene in New York. And it was hard to give all of it up to start over again. Mm-hmm. So I was, it was tough for me to give all that up. And it's still kind of that way. I mean, I've done I go to LA when there's work, but I don't really I don't see myself living there because it's a tough town. I think at least from what I've gone there for extended periods of time, it just feels like it's a tough town to uh start from scratch and and even if you have friends i mean you got it it's hard to also like if you get out of you know i can walk out the door and i could have maybe three experiences in a night between performing hanging out with friends trying a restaurant and then in la you're going to drive forever to maybe have that one thing mm. with your one friend That's you know true. i agree 100 being a being at both going to both cities and visiting both cities multiple times New York has it, you know, especially with the comedy scene, because you can go to comedy any night of the week. There's multiple shows anywhere in any of the boroughs you can go to. And if you're if you're yeah. starting out from scratch and you're a beginner, you could probably do three or four open mics in one night and just bounce around and just make a, you know, do something with it. You know, whereas in L.A., I feel like yeah. it's more like, yeah, you're going to go to L.A. if you're really focusing on, you know, your acting career. OK, that's fine. If you that's what you want to do, you go you know, in that. But 
And then you end up being like a, uh, you know, assistant on a movie set and you, you're grabbing coffees and you, you got to really build your way up. And really what you really want to do is just act. But, but when you're in New York, you can do a bunch of stuff and still do comedy and still do shows. And I mean, some of the best shows I've ever seen was like a Tuesday night at the Comedy Cellar, which is like these guys you really never heard of before are on stage and it's, right. the, it's the midnight show, you know, and you're sitting there and you're laughing your balls off at these guys and, and the girls and you have no idea who they were. And then all of a sudden, five years later on Netflix and you're like, oh, shit, I think I seen that person at the comedy cell, you know, on a Tuesday. And, you know, yeah, see, that's the practical reason for me, at least my especially uh, early on, because like from a practical standpoint, if you do stand up in L.A., which I love, you're it is predominantly a very specific type of audience. You know, it's a it's a it's a Los Angeles kind of audience. Uh, and so at least in New York, there's plenty of places, you know, like the people you're talking about at the Comedy Cellar, they could be talking to people from Manhattan, the boroughs, Canada, Australia, and some lady from Idaho, maybe somebody from Scranton, Pennsylvania down to have a weekend in New York, yeah. all across the board. So the muscle, I mean, you know, that's why really no for me like no place in new york is really going to hone your act for the road and just going around the country and doing things because i can't live in a bubble mm -hmm. you know um that's what's sometimes funny like my mom you're like sometimes i think that they would think that like well if you're in new york you're kind of in a bubble it's like it's kind of impossible to be in a bubble because you walk around and there's people from all over the world and they're right there in your face yeah. And you have to deal with that. I mean, I'm sure people can still find a way to be in an echo chamber, but I just mean like from the practical thing, especially as an artist, I have to deal with everybody. And unless, you know, unless, I mean, there are definitely comedians that decide to just create a niche and they're going to say, I'm, I'm this kind of a comic and I only talk to these kind of people, but yeah. I was never interested in that for me. I, I want to be someone that can offend people from both sides of a, of a discussion, you know? So I like that. That's the way to do it. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It's like comedy is supposed to be to make people. It, it, when you go to a comedy club, I, I feel like you're supposed to you put everything aside. You walk into a safe place where everyone's equal. Everyone loves each other. And listen, if you get picked on on a joke, it's out of love. It's out of fun. It's out of the art. It's not anything personal against you. If you're offended by it, then don't be offended by it. We're in a safe zone. It's a safe zone for everyone to enjoy themselves. And I feel like most people understand that when they go to a comedy club they know what they're signing up for they know what the ticket is they're going in there they may be part of the show but there's there's always that percentage of people that don't understand the concept of stand-up comedy and i feel like comics do a really good job of keep emphasizing this fact that yes this is comedy it's out of good fun it's nothing personal to keep the art going and it hasn't been like me too yet and all of a sudden stand-up comedy is not allowed anymore and you can't pick on people and stuff like this it's a, it sucks. it's 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 the most well that's happened i mean i think we forget we try to make it political but i mean and it, i guess it is i mean for some people but i mean especially growing up in this you know just growing up southern and all that i i mean from an ideology standpoint i've kind of been around all over the place uh, throughout my life but it was the same thing i mean for for so long like uh, conservatives kind of had the whole, it wasn't called cancel culture, but back then it was like the Dixie chicks, they don't like us. So oh, yeah. don't listen to their music. Dixie <laughs> I remember chicks, that. I All remember. of that stuff. Yeah. So all of that stuff, man, from we, uh, you know, all kisses from the devil, burn those books, burn that yep. music. Don't listen to the Dixie chicks. That was all a big conservative thing. And it was all based on a morality code. And then now it's more now the liberals have jumped in on it, you know, so they have got their version of that now as well. And what's fascinating is 
I mean, I right before the pandemic, one of my favorite moments was being in a club and watching uh, a comic that I, I love. That's an amazing comic that's been on television, getting heckled from a Republican and a Democrat in the same set. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's easy to bomb on one side of the fence, but you got to bomb on both sides. They, you offended every, you defended both of them. Yeah. They were both heckling you. So as a comic, to me, that's a success. That I was able to offend both parts yeah, of, the, right? of, the, of the crowd. You know what I mean? I, I always wanted, I always, for me, want to try to navigate it to where I can make you laugh, even if you don't agree with things. But cool, right? that's that's always part of the art. I always laugh, particularly you were talking about the cellar, and that's one of my favorite things because you see so many amazing comedians there. And uh, I just I remember this was also before the pandemic. And I was uh, I'll tell like sometimes young comics when they're talking about navigating this. I was telling them about this one show I saw where every comic was so completely not politically correct. But every comic would do some version. Not in some there would be some moment where when a comic goes, hey, we all agree that you shouldn't hurt animals, right? We agree with that. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Of course, the next, now we're going to hurt animals. It's that, the thing that's funny about now versus, you know, like say somebody like Rodney, they're just, hey, I'm just doing it, all right? Yeah. What's funny now is that you almost have to weaponize sincerity and pull people, okay, hey, your point's valid, right? This is wrong. However, <laughs> and then you're going to go and you're going to do it. Because I do think that people don't understand that, uh, well, a lot of people don't understand that comedy is not logic. Logic's not funny. Flawed logic is funny. Right. You know, if you watched me just do a stand-up act where I was completely reasonable and logical, I, nobody's going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to get thrown off the stage, right? I mean, it's not going to be funny in the slightest. So what yeah. you do is you try to take a truth and you try to put it through a lens of flawed logic, you know? So if Bill Burr is saying that uh, some version of, uh, they say the hardest job in the world is to be a woman. And I don't know, really? You ever been in a coal mine? That seems like a tough job. I don't think that Bill Burr, I don't think that Bill Burr actually thinks it's not a hard job to be yeah. uh, a mother. Sorry, I said woman. It's a mother. Yeah, but yeah. like, to, it's, of course, it's hard to be a mother, you know? But, um, but it's funny. He's just using flawed logic. Yeah. It's absurdity. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, never necessarily what you believe either. It's every comment. What is something that's funny? Yeah. 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 It's every comment. I mean, I do think, I think that I'm, I'm kind of in a different, but like, I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind so much what's going on. I don't know how much, I don't know how much respect I have for a lot of people. I particularly don't have a lot of respect for comedians that like to go public and tell other comedians what they think they should be doing yeah, on stage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that I can't even understand. Like yeah. if you've walked into a wall every day of your life for 10 years to pursue an art form, yeah, yeah. go with God, you do your thing. <laughs> I mean, the people will, they'll, they'll buy your stuff or they won't buy your stuff, but it's, I don't need to try to get a hundred likes on Twitter yeah. just by going and going, this comic is out of line. I, yeah, maybe I and there are definitely comedians that I think are out of line, but I don't need to get on social media with that, you know, because, I, you know, you've earned the right to fail financially and commercially and all that stuff. You know, you're you're a grown up. You're an individual. Do your yeah. thing. You were just talking about like that, just telling stuff like Colin Quinn does had that show, that one man show. He was doing the history of Colin. Yeah, Quinn. it's a great show. It is. And it basically he was just telling the history of real factual history, but he was taking his own twang to it. He was like twisting it to like make it funny. It's like, because yeah. anyone could be like, yeah, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president, but then he'd go, yeah, you know, something's wrong for that guy. You know what I mean? And people would start laughing because you would change, you, you would twerk it. So it would be entertaining. And which I thought was very impressive because you were taking something that would be so ordinarily boring and actually make it so people want to listen to it. Like, well, what, what does he think? 
about this. I, I always love when comics can do that. Like mm -hmm. Gary Goleman doing a whole, making a whole meat sandwich out of states and their abbreviations. <laughs> you know, I because I, I was talking about the seller. I watched Goleman follow on a late night show once a, a person that was filthy. I mean, filthy, dirty. And, there's, and I'm not, that's no judgment on that. I'm mm -hmm. just saying that if you're late night and people are a few bags, you know, a few drinks in, Mm -hmm. little bag little few bags in the wind and so like all of a sudden i got to do my 20 minutes on the state abbreviations and he crushed i was like you know what good for you gary Goldman. good for you that's nice and i watched his hbo special called depression and he did a whole hour on depression and i'm like dude you got to tip your hat that goes back to the andy kaufman thing man just an artist anybody that can make something where I'm not even, I have, there's no cheat codes and things like that. If you can do 20 minutes late night in front of drunk people following a dirty comic and you can do state abbreviations, I got nothing but love for you. The midnight show at the cell is probably the hottest show to do because you figure you get all these drunk, you know, I was at the show once and it was all these big, like, yeah, Sopranos guys from like Jersey in the back. Yeah. And they go, hey, I go, hey, whoa, whoa, the Italian guys and all they get mouthy. And then the girls are getting mouthy because they've been drinking all day and stuff like this. And to watch a comic navigate through that and able to like it to me, it's like a, a, a captain of a ship going through bad terrain, right? Going through bad. Yeah. And he's able to navigate through all of it and get to where he has to be without anything happening. And he's he's big Italian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa, what the fuck? They're all, you know, heckling and stuff. And he's just treasure lawn he's going he's, he's riding the waves you know they say something he's bringing it back and you know and he's getting to the point where everyone in the audience is laughing their balls off and they end up just laughing their balls off at this group of people who are just being destructive at the company and the comics aren't missing a step he's just going with it and everything and to me that was one of the most impressive things i've ever seen because yeah it's 12 o'clock everyone's been drinking all day everyone's going to the big black pussy cat afterwards and having a few more cocktails right sure so it's like to me that's it's a that's a it's to be able to do that is probably one of the things you have to do as a comic probably to fine tune the most, right. Is to deal with not just the crowd or just odd audiences is, is that particular type of audience of hecklers and just people want to be destructive to, because you have, you've probably seen people who go up there and they're like very, mostly probably beginners, right. They get there, uh, you know, five to 10 minutes and it's kind of scripted and they sure. kind of rattle it off and they're not really flowing. And then all of a sudden you get a heckler five minutes in. And yeah. Throws them off course. It's like, of well, course. You know what I mean, it's like that's probably yeah. the, one of the toughest things to get back to to get back on track. Well, hecklers, people that are disruptive. I mean, I never really understand why some. I mean, I get it; they're drunk usually, but I never really understand why someone would heckle a profesh, a professional comic, because it's sort of like we're about to draw guns and your guns empty. <laughs> like I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about you and I will, there are so I, it's just, how do I want to, I, I could bounce you around the room. I yeah. could ignore you. I could do many things to you, but it's not a matter of, it's more just the, for people that have done it, that are professional. I think it's just more the dis first it's the disrespect. And right. it's even more so if they think they're helping you, I don't need this to happen. And, and it's even worse when you bounce them around the room and the crowd goes crazy and they come up after like, Hey, I was glad to help. You didn't help. You were a complete piece of garbage. And that's what's so weird about standup is like, nobody would go watch someone and play the harp and decide to heckle. Nobody goes on Broadway and tells grandma to put the gun down, you know, to try to change the plot. But everyone thinks they, you know, I don't know. It's just insane. And then newer comics, I really do feel for them. I, I do tell newer comics that if there is any way at all to ignore it, mm -hmm. ignore it. 
because yeah. you're you may especially first year comics like you may not be first off a lot of people don't even know somebody said something you know comics are like there's 60 people laughing and there's two people heckling over there these people don't know what's going on you know so if you ignore it ignore it and then if you have to deal with it deal with it but i wouldn't try i wouldn't try to make it a bit if i started out personally i would just i'd rather see a, a newer comic just say hey shut the fuck up or i'm gonna throw you out then mm -hmm. I would, you try to do something with them because, oh my gosh, man, I had a buddy of mine that, I don't know, I shouldn't even tell it. Well, I had a, I had a buddy of mine once that I loved, I loved him, but he should have let it go once. Okay. Yeah. And, and the person burned him more than he burned the heckler. And yeah. that's, you're done. I'm like you're done. Michael Richards, are you? You let him get to No, him. no. <laughs> let him get to but him, like, huh? uh, but like he tried to, he tried to make a joke and stuff at the expense of the heckler and the heckler, and that's what a heckler wants anyway. They one upped him, and he never got the crowd back after that, and uh, it was brutal. Yeah, it's just yeah. brutal. That's like yeah. bringing your guitar to an Aerosmith show and think you're going to help out in the crowd playing guitar. <laughs> I got you. it's silly, right, so but it goes back to why people think they can have so many opinions about stand up because they don't really understand. Yeah, they don't. They don't really understand it. Like it's a weird art form that way. Like I don't watch. I don't watch Aerosmith and think that I could get up and play the drums, mm -hmm. but people watch stand up and think, you know, I mean, I could probably grab a microphone and do yeah. a few minutes and it would be great. They should do it. And when they do it, they realize it. I remember my first open mic, wow, probably like 10 years ago. And I remember going up stage and eating my own dick. It's because you think you, get, you think you get the idea. You watch people like, all right. And then you sit there and then, and then I actually went and take, I took classes after the fact. Yeah. And I was like, all right, let, let me, let me see what they can tell me that I'm doing wrong. And then they fine tune it. They literally say, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you're doing right. And I, we did, uh, I was at Improv Boston in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I took a bunch yeah. of classes there and I did improv and I did stand up. and doing the both actually helped figure out. Then when I went back on stage, I was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing wrong. This is, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not easy. It's probably well, it's strange. Like I get, I know some stand-up comedians. They don't like classes, and I, 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 I get it. Yeah. You know, because it is an individual art form. But I didn't. I it, every art form has some basic, foundational fundamentals. Right. Every art form. So why you don't get a pass because it's stand-up, and that doesn't mean that maybe you you could find your way. I think talented people will find their way. Yeah. But I don't. It, there is joke structure. You know, there are certain things that it's not the worst thing in the world to have a peer group in a class and, and maybe make a few friends and start a writer's group because it can be very lonely, you know, and, and people come out of the gate and you deal with um, like open micers who are And it's that's the it's the irony of the whole thing is that you wind up doing a lot of open mics trying to make a set that's funny in front of people in a focus group situation that are not an actual audience because they're not humans. They're not real people. They're all, they're, they're all comics. And that can go anywhere from just a regular comic who's banging out five mics a week and they're kind of like, oh, I'm obsessed with my own thing, to just jaded people that are burnouts that have been doing it forever and they're angry at everybody at the mic. And then you, you see people, like I never, when I started, I, I didn't understand the math on open mics didn't work for me because for me, open mics were just, I'm going to practice saying the words of jokes, but I don't care what they think. Mm -hmm. That was my That was my attitude about open mics. I don't care what the audience thinks. I need to be around real. I got to be around people. Yeah. So uh, even going back to how much I wanted to be a, a standup, I, I, I was making a pretty good amount of money, like I said before in advertising, but I barred. 
uh, a cabaret room in Times near Times Square for three years, and yeah. just hey, fly, you know, come to the show. So I mean, I was getting probably at least four or five shows a week in front of people, just barking, and then I would do maybe a mic a week, just enough to not hate it, you know, yeah. and practice working on things. And uh, and I was also doing improv, so I I had the stand up thing, but then. I'd been doing improv for a, a few years longer than stand up. Um, and so I would try to get people to let me do five minutes on their improv shows and sketch shows and things like that. And, and then at one point I, um, I was involved a lot. I went through second city and upright citizens brigade. And then I, I got involved at the, uh, the pit, the people's improv theater in uh, New York. And I'm still involved with the pit a lot now. And I would just ask them like, could I just host the night? You know, like you have all these shows, we'll just make it like, I, I'm not gonna, I promise I won't be that person. Cause everybody hates that person. You know, I, I might do two jokes, bring someone up, that's it. And I, and I was, and I was always very careful to never, not blow lights, always be professional and just do a, a joke or two. Um, because I knew that if I got a little indulgent, which new comics are, are apt to be, that it would be taken away from me, so. That's good. Chris, amazing. It's, you know, it's nice seeing a veteran comic okay, and someone who's been experienced and knows what they're doing, talk to and yeah. learn all this stuff. And I, I think you gave a lot of information that would be helpful to people who want to start out, who are basically, especially people who have careers and just decide they want to go, hey, I agree. Yeah. let's do something. Yeah, you want to do I think what's different now versus then, especially was that the institution had more power than it does now, you know, because like, it, it, if you couldn't get in certain clubs or certain rooms, it, it somehow it, that was where you were. Whereas now it's all flipped on its ear because, you know, if you've got a podcast that has a million followers, you're a standup. You may only have four minutes to your name, but you can you could headline the country. You know, if you have the right social media following, you could probably get in a movie, get, get in, work any clubs and everything like that. So, it, you know, whereas when I was starting, you know, that you were just chasing this institution of being in certain clubs and rooms and also this idea that eventually someone might want to look at a pilot. Because, <clears throat> you know, I mean, you're looking at Seinfeld, Ray Romano, uh, Bernie Mac, uh, all those guys, and that were just getting shows. And um, and that was kind of the model. But you did it. You had to do it like, I don't know, seven, 10 years, you know, yeah. Yeah. like even when I think even when Chappelle got whatever discovered he started blowing up out of nowhere he'd been doing stand-up for a while a pretty yeah. good chunk of time so i think there's a lot of people it's like the beatles i mean the beatles played 10 years and nobody knew who they were and then they got then they became huge so i think that it's it was more about craft and time whereas now i mean i don't know i think the thing like for me i'm I, just like everybody you're trying to figure out how to how do you uh define yourself and what's going on in the world today, um, it, it is different. Whereas now, like right now, especially like in Manhattan, um, there's like where, let's say if there used to be like maybe three to five, six comedy institutions when I started, now there's, there's the comedy institutions don't matter as much. There's not, the industry's not hanging out that much in most places, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then you saw the rise of like even in Boston and New York and, and places like in, uh, comedy theaters started getting play and they might cover everything from sketch to improv to stand up. So that got more people on stage. So instead of maybe having like, uh, I don't know, like there's eight rings to kiss. Now you've got like 8,000 rings to kiss. I mean, like for me, 
I used sometimes to say like, like everybody these days is king and queen of Tiny Island because it's between, you know, casting people for acting, people that run, uh, you know, comedy institutions, uh, theater people, and then the advent of bar shows. I mean, right now in Manhattan, everybody's producing their own shows. That's what I think instead of barking, what people are trying to do now is more just run their own shows and collaborate with other people that run shows and swap spots with people and do that kind of thing. And however you get there, ultimately, you just got to get the time in. You got to get your 10,000 hours in and all that. Um, but I don't know that Mike's necessarily, you got to keep the attitude that I am practicing against an audience that's not reflective of usually an audience that I'm actually working towards. Mm. You know, that's why like in a mic, a lot of times I'll, I'll hear somebody do like a great joke and maybe it's clean and nobody laughs. And then someone else will get up and go, I got raped by a bear and it had AIDS. And everybody goes nuts in an open mic because it just jarred their dead soul. Yeah, and yeah, somehow, yeah. oh, yeah, he said AIDS. Yeah, that's funny. That, you know, and all that. Um, but ultimately, you know, you just you grind and you find your way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, yeah. joining us tonight. Uh, where can people find any of your, your, your website, obviously? You want to share with us real yeah, you can. Well, all my social media stuff is, um, I mean, on Instagram, I'm at Chris Griggs uh, Comedy, but my website, ChrisGriggsComedy.com, has all my social media stuff on, on it. And if you are in Manhattan, um, I have a reunion show. I'm in a comedy group called The Baldwins. We've been around for probably 12, 13 years. Um, New York Times recommended. Uh, we've been in, yeah, so we've been, we're good. And we're, we're doing our only show this year because of the, you know, the pandemic and all that. And some some of us one of the one of the care one of the people in the group is on broadway run and we've got a few of them that had babies during the pandemic you know and all that so but we're doing one show saturday night probably our only show this year at uh the pit on 29th street and it's be seven o'clock on saturday and then the following weekend if you live in yonkers i'm gonna daddy's coming to yonkers so uh you know get on my website and email me and i'll send you the ticket link and all that stuff but thanks so much for having me guys it was, it was a fun yeah, conversation it was great to meet you chris thank you yeah man. you as well talk to me. We'll thank you talk. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll look for you how's that sound i appreciate it thank you uh, have a good night man thank you you too my god dude I, I think you and i collectively said about two paragraphs during that whole yeah, thing. he just took <laughs> off like he just knew what to say and did not stop yeah, like, really nice talking to him because you got a perspective yeah. guy who's been doing it for a little bit longer than most people we've talked to probably in the yeah, last he's great years, right? so you got a guy who's like you you got a guy who who should have who our friend eric should have the same type of conversation with but it's not quite yeah. that, you know what i mean I, it sucks though, because I had a lot I wanted to ask and say no. to him, but like he, I just couldn't get a. We, neither of us could really get a word in. He's just gone. I actually want to see some of his. I, I think that's quite the ballsy move to go from being a, um, working in marketing in the biggest city in the country, which is like marketing is all about New York, right? And say, yeah, that was one of my. That's going to be one of my questions. And yeah. not to mention, not, it's not like he was from New York and it was just another day in the in the park to him. He was like from Memphis. He was going from, you know, a middle sized city in the country to the second biggest city in the country to do yes. one of the most premier uh, occupations you could be doing. And if like marketing, I think is probably number one in New York of all the cities in the country. If you want to be a marketing guy and then say, Hey, fuck it. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do improv. Yeah, I'm just going to do stand up. I'm going to ditch marketing in New York to do improv, which is yeah. admirable to do. I mean, False. if yeah. I uh, trust me, there's plenty of things I want to do if I didn't have a fucking mortgage and a 
fucking kid and a wife. You know what I mean? I'd be like, hey. And student loan debt. Yeah, I'm just going to do, yeah, student debt. Yeah, that doesn't fucking help hurt. All right. Yeah, I'm just going to go and, uh, you know, I'm going to pursue my career in uh, juggling. I'm just going to be a world juggler. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna be a circus. Juggle before, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> Say fuck it. What's the worst yeah. that would happen, right? This yeah. is all. No, good for him. Chris Griggs, everyone. I didn't fuck up his name. Good I thought guy. I was gonna fuck it up. I didn't. You did, you did great, wow. buddy. Good guy. He's a really good guy. I've been drinking, so imagine if I wasn't. <laughs> that shit. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. All right, sir. Uh, what are you plugging? Yeah, I, I know oh, you this video check coming out. The, check out the world and potato. Oh, and, video. Uh, yeah, there's a Halloween video that came out last week, and uh, I'm working on a new one, and that should be out in a couple weeks. It's gonna be a Thanksgiving one, and people are gonna be dressed as Indians. Ooh, I should do. I should do a Thanksgiving video. I probably should. Ooh, that'd be actually a good. One. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah, and you get me on uh, wearsadi.com for all your wearsadi needs. So yeah, we'll see you guys uh, next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. See you later. Till you, motherfuckers. Bye. <laughs>